Our scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. For the last several weeks, we've been exploring this letter to the church at Ephesus, and the central theme within this letter is all about becoming all that Jesus Christ has called you and I to be. Jesus didn't just save us so that we could go to heaven, he has a design and a purpose for our lives, and he, desire, he desires for you and I to know him in a growing intimacy, to become who he created and saved us to be. And um, what you see here in the verses that Karen read for us, he talks about us walking worthy of our calling. That means becoming all that he desires for you and for me. And one of you, the things that you'll notice here as we, as we begin to look at this is a theme word sticks out in this portion of Scripture, and it's the word one. We're designed to do things together, to be together. And when we become, come together as the bride of Christ, as the church, when we unite together in service to the Lord and honoring him, he does great and amazing things. A few weeks ago, we looked back in chapter 3, and, and we saw that God's plan from the, from the ages past was to reveal the mystery of his manifold wisdom through us, the church, us becoming who Jesus designed for us to be, in God reconciling us through Jesus to himself and to one another, it proclaims the hope that the world desperately needs, that everyone desperately needs. And God wants to fill all things with this hope. Every person, every family, every nation, every language, every person with the hope of the gospel. And so what we want to explore today is how we are designed to walk together in the Spirit. Walking the Spirit means not walking alone, but in unity with others. In fact, the unity that the church has when it lives the way it's supposed to is the advertisement that the Holy Spirit is alive and well within our midst. And it's what points people to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples, my followers, if you have love for one another. Our love for each other, despite our differences, is what proves who Jesus is through our lives. Now, who he is doesn't need proving by us because he he's revealed himself in beautiful ways through his word, through his accomplishment, through his death, burial, and resurrection. But the way to get people to listen is for you and I to love each other 
as God has loved us. Now, um, for those of you who've been a part of, of ICP for a long time, you know that I like to use props, some of which are very strange. Um, and I've tried to use, over the years, a lot of different illustrations to describe what the church is like. Some of you will remember getting a puzzle piece, you know, and I showed you how each piece is unique. It's uniquely colored and uniquely shaped. Um, and, but um, everyone is important and is necessary because the worst thing that can happen when you're doing a jigsaw puzzle is come to the end of all the pieces and realize that two or three are missing. And the same is true in the church. And I've used Lego sets and I've all kinds of weird things to try to illustrate this. So today, I'm going to use a slightly different illustration uh, and talk about how it is that we are to function. And the thing that came to mind for me is, um, is cutlery. I know, I told you I'm strange. So fortunately, those who are here all the time have chosen to put up with me, and I appreciate that. But each one of these devices is unique. They have a special purpose, and they're designed to work together in order to serve you with food. Um, I don't know, have any of you ever tried to eat soup with a fork? You can do, see, Reuben would do it. I, of course you would, of course you would. You can do it, but it really is a bit difficult, you know, over time. It's not designed for that. The same is true within the church. We are given different gifts, different abilities, but we're designed for the same purpose, and that is serving the Lord, building up his body together. Uh, the same way, you know, you can take a spoon. It's a really wonderful tool, but it's really hard to cut meat with a spoon. You can do it, but it takes a whole lot longer than it does with a knife. Well, as I was thinking about this, actually, this um, last Sunday, uh, we had a, there was a, a wonderful party for, uh, for Ian and Selena, and it was a cookout, and, and I noticed uh, a couple of our, our young folks, I don't know if they're in here, if they are, I will draft them, but I, I'm going to need two volunteers, um, one of which I will draft is Josiah, so thank you for volunteering, Josiah. Uh, everybody saw his hand go up, didn't you, right? There you go. And I need, I need one more volunteer to help me out here. Um, and just go ahead and have a, have a seat right there. I'll, I'll, I'll embarrass you in a little bit. Um, anybody else? Be brave. Be brave. Oh, Tom. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, while we were at this picnic, I was watching um, some of the guys, and they were, uh, there were skewers that were being used to, to roast the meat. And after the skewers were empty, they were going around trying to find two of them so they could make chopsticks, so they could eat, eat some other things. These are an amazing, amazing device, far older than a fork and a spoon. Um, chopsticks have been around forever. And, and some people are really, really good with them, and some people are not. I don't know about, are you, are you guys fairly, ex you should be very experienced with chopsticks. You're a professional. I've seen you use chopsticks, so I'm very... Very, I'm very confident. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask uh, Josiah and Tom here to, to demonstrate to us the fine art of using chopsticks um, for some rice. So here you go. Have a little rice. And you go ahead and stand up so everybody can see this. And, uh, and you're, you're, you guys ready? Because you feel, you feel confident about this, right? Yeah. Josiah, you, you're rocking down? You good? Awesome. Here you go. There you go. All right. <laughs> Begin. That's, that's how I would do it, too. <laughs> What's, all right, Josiah, yeah. 
Oh, all right. Okay, there you go. Okay, I will. I will. Uh, I will. Be, I will be merciful. So, there you go. Go ahead. Show it. Show us your. Show us your skills. We'll clean that up later. I messed up my hand the other day. Oh, okay. You, you're fine. Uh, yeah, it's it. I cooked it this morning, so it's. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's good. All right, thank you. Thank you very, very much. All right. Now, what's the point of my craziness here? Thank you. Yes, thank you guys very, very much. Here's the point. As difficult as it is to eat rice or much anything else with one chopstick, that's what often happens in the church is we try to live the Christian life on our own. When we were designed to be connected with the church. And just as you can't eat with chopsticks with only one stick, you and I cannot become who Jesus Christ designed for us to be unless we're connected to the body of Christ. And and not just going to a service, but being a part of the body, getting to know one another, working side by side in service to the Lord. And so if you're to take the crazy little illustration, it, it simply means this. Don't be a one chopstick Christian, okay? Because you're never going to become what God designed for you to be. You're also never going to experience the joy that he has for you and I because he is inviting us into the fellowship of his family and into the fellowship of the Trinity. Helen Keller was a remarkable woman who was born both blind and deaf, and she reminds us of the power of being united together. She said this, alone we can do so little, together we can do so very much. You and I were made to show the greatness and glory of God when we come together as the church. Let's look at this passage of scripture and let's, let's see what God has for us in allowing us to work together just as a pair of chopsticks works together that you and I are designed to work with one another as his church. We are made for each other and to serve each other in unity. And our unity is to flow from the relational love of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In essence, What God does when he saves you and I is he invites you not just into his family. He doesn't just adopt you and I as sons and daughters. He invites us into the intimacy that is shared between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus prayed about in John 17, that we would be one even as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would be one, that we would have that kind of connection to each other and to the Lord. Well, let me give you, to to help uh, this make sense, let me give you uh, a definition of the triune God, what we oftentimes refer to as the Trinity. God is one in being, but three in persons. Each are equal and distinct, but unified together in love as one. The Holy Spirit is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Holy Spirit, but they are both equally God. God the Father is not the Holy Spirit, nor is he God the Son, but they are all three equally God. 
And together in their relationship of love, we find life in them together. Each one of them, as we've looked in the past, has a part in our salvation. And that's what this passage is talking about. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son are all referred to here in this passage. Let's look at it in verse 4. Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, which is referring to the Son, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This whole passage is built around the triune nature of God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they each have unique functions as they relate to us. In this passage, as we look at it, we discover that the Father is the one who creates one family because we're in relationship to Him. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. The Son creates one faith, one hope, and one baptism. We are saved through the person of Jesus Christ, through His work on the cross, in His death, burial, and resurrection. We put our faith in Him. Likewise, the Holy Spirit is the one that creates us as one body. He is the one who unites us together because um, when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within you as a guarantee, and then you're invited to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we should continually seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? You and I become more and more one because the same thing that is in you is in me now, the Holy Spirit. That's how we're designed to work, and that's how we grow closer and closer. And so what we see here in this passage is that the unity of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the source of our transformation, of our unity, of our adoption, of our faith, and of our hope. There is one source, and that is the relationship between God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is incredibly, incredibly important, and we're invited into that intimacy. The Holy Spirit creates one body. There is one church. There is one body because there is one spirit. And what that simply means is that even though when you um, look online and you put a search in for churches, hundreds and thousands of different names will come up. There is only one church. And it's not the International Church of Prague as much as I would like to say that, although we're very much a part of his church. The church is every believer from every tribe, every tongue, every nation throughout history who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And we need to learn to love his church as he loves his church. We should support one another, build one another up. That's why at the Bridge Center, uh, our ministry center, we seek to have other congregations use it as much as possible because we believe in them as much as we believe in the gathering that we call the International Church of Prague. We are one. Likewise, the Son creates one faith, one hope, one baptism. Jesus is our living hope. He is the one who rescues us and reconciles us to God. And the Father is the one who adopts us and creates us as one family. 
So they come together into your life and my life, and they're calling us into a unified relationship with them, with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and with one another. So how in practice do we begin to live that way? How do we walk together? Well, um, in the book of Amos, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, is a very simple little question. It says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Unity is a choice. You and I must choose to honor the Lord God and to honor what he calls us to above our own desires, above our own opinions, above our own views. We have to choose to walk together. And I'm so thankful because you as a church reflect this incredibly well. I am convinced that the Lord smiles upon you as a congregation because he sees your love for one another. In fact, one of the things that I keep hearing is people come through, you know, as an international church, we, we tend to lose 20 to 25% of our people every year and, and people come, new people come and, and old people go. That would be me. Um, so now I think about that, that didn't really sound good. Um, some people come, some people go. We'll leave it at that, no age. Um, and they, what they, but they, so often what they say is, I've never seen a church so loving. That's the reputation we want to have as a church. And my challenge to us is let's, let's do even more. Let's reach out even more. Let's stretch our arms out towards others even more. Well, how is it that we're to meet together and then walk together? Well, we have to agree to do so which means that we have to agree to walk in the same way. Not just the same general direction, but you get in, in order to walk together, you have to be in step with each other. You have to agree on where you're going. You have to agree on when you're gonna stop. I mean, in order to make the journey and truly walk together, there's a lot of things that have to come together in order for us to be unified. And I believe in this passage, he gives us, Four directions for our walk that have to be in sync with one another. Look at verses one through three. Paul's writing and, he's, and he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord because um, he's writing from prison because of his faith. He says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He's saying, when you have these characteristics in the forefront of your heart and life, you'll be able to walk together in the bond of peace. You will be one as my church. And so the direction of our walk comes about when we learn to orient our life to Jesus. Because what's being described here is the attitude of Jesus. We are to orient our life towards the humility that Jesus showed, even though he is the God of the universe who created all things, Philippians says he humbled himself and became a servant. We are to have the gentleness of the spirit that Jesus did. Jesus responded to others, to those whose lifestyle was um, in direct opposition to what his word said. He deals with them with gentleness and with grace. By the way, that's all of us. In case you were trying to figure out who that was, it was you and me. 
just so you know. Our lives are to reflect the patience of love that Jesus shows towards you and to me. And we're to rest our identity in the bond of peace. Think about how Jesus did that, the life that he showed us. To maybe help you remember this, because this this is how I try to remember this, I want to see these things as four directions I need to focus on every day, in fact, every moment. Upward, forward, outward, and Godward. Okay, so the first one is upward. He talks about humility. What we are to do is to set our minds on things above. This is what we're told to do in Colossians chapter 3. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are to set our minds on the fact that Jesus Christ is the risen king. He is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and, we're to, and he is in authority over everything, including our lives. We are to humble ourselves and to recognize that he alone is Lord. So the first thing I need to do is I need to continually train my thoughts to be focused not just on my circumstances, but on the greatness and glory of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is above every circumstance you and I face. Every good circumstance that we encounter is a blessing that comes from him. Every trial that we walk through, his presence promises to be with us, to guide us, to comfort us, to strengthen us. But it begins with a humility of our heart in recognition that life is not about me, it is all about him. So I need to first focus my mind upward. Think on the things that are above. Secondly, we need to focus our eyes forward. This is the gentleness with which God deals with us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I choose to to spend time watching or reading the news, I get depressed I look at the tragedies that are happening in our world, and there's the natural disasters, the violence um, that are happening in country after country, and it can be overwhelming. But we're not to just look and see the badness of our world. We're also to look and see the beauty of God because he is working in the midst of it. That's why the scripture says, where sin did abound, there did grace much more abound. So oftentimes, in the most dark of circumstances, when you look, you will see that God is working in and through his people, the church, to bring hope in the darkness. And so what we need to do is place our eyes forward, remembering that Jesus is king, and look for the beauty of Jesus in the midst of dark circumstances. And we need to do the same thing in the lives of people around us. The key for us walking in unity is to look for the beauty of God in others, especially in those that you're frustrated with, that you're offended by. When we look to see what God is doing in their heart and their life, the burden that we feel will be lifted because we're sinking our thoughts and our viewpoint to that of Jesus. As the church, we need to believe in one another. Because let me let you in on a really important secret. If God can take me and change me and use me even in the smallest of ways, 
I am 100% confident he can use you even more. Because I know what's inside of me. I know my thoughts, my sin nature. And the fact that the Lord is able to bring transformation into my heart enables me to look at each of you and go, God, you're doing amazing things. You reflect Jesus well. That's what we want to learn to do with one another. Eyes forward, looking for the beauty of God at work. That's a gentleness of spirit that we have. The next one he talks about is patience, and that has to do with our heart. It's not only looking for beauty, but it's choosing to have our hearts focused outward towards others. This is what Jesus did. Jesus, um, when he's asked, he says, I have come to do my Father's will. And whenever he was dealing with a difficult circumstance like he was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays and says, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup, let this judgment that I'm about to undergo um, be passed from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was thinking of the Father and he was thinking of you and I. The heart of Jesus was focused outward and he patiently deals with you and I because he sees not where we are, but who we are becoming in him. We have to have the same outward viewpoint. This is what we're told in Philippians chapter two. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what we're called to do. In fact, what we're called to do is we're to look for others in our midst who maybe they're struggling on their own. They're trying to make it through life and all they've got is themselves. Maybe they have a relationship with the Lord, but they've not really connected with the life of other believers. What we're called to do is to come alongside of them to encourage them, to lift them up, to build them up so that together we can accomplish all that God wants for us to do and to be. Well, the final one of that direction is, is we need to have our minds upward, we need to have our eyes forward, we need to have our hearts outward, and we need to rest Godward. Godward may be an English word that you're not familiar with, but it's a really important word. Godward means that I take my confidence, my worldview from who God is and not from my circumstances, ideas, or opinions. It doesn't matter what the world says about me. It doesn't matter what others have said about me, what my parents, what my spouse or children or um, my boss has said about me, it matters what God says about us. He says here that we're unified in the bond of peace by placing our hearts, resting our hearts, resting our identity fully 
on who Jesus Christ says we are. That's how we can walk together. Because you see, when I have confidence in who Jesus says I am, then I'm not comparing myself to others. I'm not threatened by others. I'm free to be who he created me to be and instead to love others as he loves me. So set your minds upward, your eyes forward, your hearts outward, and rest in who Jesus is with a Godward peace. And God will allow you to become all that you are designed to be. Following Jesus is often referred to by the term discipleship. And discipleship is a very good word, but it's a word that sometimes we, um, we turn into knowledge. Knowledge is good, but discipleship is more than just knowledge. Because when you pursue following Jesus or discipleship only from a knowledge base, then discipleship becomes what we consume. The more we learn, the more we feel like we're a disciple. But I believe the opposite is actually true. Discipleship in its true nature is not what we consume, but rather what consumes us. What becomes the driving passion of our heart and of our life? To live as one, we are to be consumed by God's plan for us, by God's presence with us, by God's power through us, and by God's pleasure in us. When all those come together, then we're able to follow the Lord with all that we are. Then we're able to deny ourselves, as Jesus said, take up our cross daily and follow him. So the challenge is, is, is to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, would you begin to consume me with your plan? Would you begin to consume me with an awareness of your presence that you are with me every day, every moment? Would you remind me of your power? Because I tend to do so many things in my own strength and I'm weary. Would you consume me with an awareness of the pleasure that you take in us as your children? Church, if we will choose to do that, I promise you it will revolutionize your life. You will discover a joy and a freedom in Christ that you never could have imagined. God's plan for us. To be consumed by that, we need to recognize his lordship that he is in charge, he alone has the right over your life and my life, over our careers, over our relationships, over our future, over our dreams. We can trust him because he knows us best. And, and when we begin to change our prayers from, Lord, would you give me what I want, to, Lord, I want what you want, when we begin to be able to pray, Lord, would you write for me your story? Would you write me into your story, into your history, because life is about you? I want my life to reflect what you are doing and who you are. Discipleship then becomes focused on love because it's not a duty that, we, that drives us to say, Lord, I want what you want but it's a recognition of his goodness and of his love that drives us there. And that should be poured out 
into our relationships with one another as well. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, he gives us the instructions about how to live in love, how to pursue God's plan, God's presence, God's power, and God's pleasure in us and promoting it in the lives of others. He says this in Ephesians 4, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We recognize he's in charge of every aspect of our life, and that's where peace is found. We are to grow up in every way into him who is our head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's the message of Ephesians, is that when the church focuses the direction of each individual upon God, upward with the mind of Christ, forward with the eyes that look for his beauty and what he is doing in this world, with hearts focused outward and with rest inward, Godward, then we build the church up. And here's the thing. Every one of us is needed. You and I have different gifts and different abilities, but God designed you to be his child and he designed you to come together and be his church. So I wanna challenge you. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna look at spiritual gifts. We're gonna take the next portion of this passage and we're gonna look at it in depth and, and we'll give some, some descriptions that are found in the scripture about different spiritual gifts. But, but having a list or taking a, a survey, all of that is good. But the first thing that has to happen is you have to believe that God has gifted you. And then you have to desire to say, Lord, I want you to use me in whatever way you've made me. Take my eyes off of looking at others because here's what happens. And this is, this is what I still do, and, and I used to do it even more, is I'll look at others and I'll think, man, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could do what they do. God didn't make you them. He made you you. And what he wants you to do is to take your life and join it together with other lives so that together we function as the church. And it requires each and every person. So here's the commercial. Um, we have a rota. We have lots of opportunities for you to begin to get started in finding a place to serve. I encourage you to stop by the table in the foyer and see Svetlana or see Becky or see me and say, I I'll try something. It doesn't matter if you're bad at it. You let me preach, okay? So things are okay. We use where God places it. And when you begin to serve, the Lord will give you more and more direction about how he wants to develop your life. But beyond that, when the church is incredibly healthy, here's what happens. It's not about the dreams and the programs that a pastor or leadership come up with. It's about the church coming alive, being prompted by the Holy Spirit, and then God speaking into the hearts of his people, and he births all kinds of new ministries and outreaches in you. You have unique connections and relationships in this community, and God wants to use you for an eternal purpose. Be brave enough 
Be bold enough to pray, Lord, would you give me an amazing vision of what you want to do? And then give me the faith and courage to follow. Help me to seek wise counsel about how I can pursue you and pursue what you're calling me to do. But be expectant that God really does want to use you. Because I promise you, he does. Our Father doesn't have favorites. I, actually, I'm going I'm to change that. Our Father does have favorites. And you are his favorite. That's the truth. He loves you. He saw you before the foundation of the world, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life that is beautiful if you'll trust him with all you have. This passage goes on to say that Jesus um, ascended and he gave gifts to men. And, it's, and it's a, I'm going to end with that. We're going to unpack it a little bit in a couple of weeks. But what he's doing here is he's quoting from the book of Psalms, and it's a picture in, the, in Psalm chapter 68, verse 18, that talks about how a king, after he had conquered, brings forth his prisoners and receives gifts. That's normally what a king would do in, middle, in, the, in biblical times. When a king won a great battle, he would come forth and all of his prisoners would be with him and everyone would be bowing down and would be giving gifts to the king. But Paul here says Jesus has done just the opposite. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our conquering king who proved his victory in rising from the dead, who conquered sin and death and the fall, he has set free captives. Those who were imprisoned by sin and by, um, by death, he has set free. And not only has he set them free, as he ascended, he has given gifts to each and every one who trusts him the gift of salvation, the gift of his Holy Spirit, and spiritual gifts to equip you for the work he has called you to do. Our king is a king who is totally outwardly focused on us. That's how much he loves us. Father, I pray that you would take your word, and Lord, you would take the truth of it, and Lord, that you would burn away the dross, the things that aren't of you. And you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would change the viewpoints that we have, that we would set our minds on things above, that we would look for your work in this world around us and in the lives of others, that our hearts would be focused outward, and Lord, that our rest would be Godward in who you say we are. And Lord, would you build your church Lord, this isn't something that happens because of a message. It happens because of the work of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I just ask you to have your way in us. Have your way in me. Build us into the church you want us to be so that people may see Jesus for who he truly is and find life in him. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Show us how to love and encourage one another, I pray. In Jesus' name.